This episode of Pondering Nerdcast was brought to you by GamingRebellion.com. Join the community today at GamingRebellion.com, where it's more than just games. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Pondering Nerdcast. I'll be your host tonight, Nate Rowe, and along with me is Zach Smith. Yo. And for this very, very special episode 16, man, we are in for such a treat. We are actually going to be dedicating the whole show to Star Trek Axanar. And if you are now scratching your head and going, what the hell is Star Trek Axanar, Zach, Give them a very brief breakdown of what Star Trek Axanar is. Sure. Star Trek Axanar is an independently produced Star Trek film, basically, with the goal of making it cinema quality. So basically, if you want to, uh, if you want to see what it looks like, uh, check out Prelude to Axanar, which is a documentary-style film they produced last year, which will basically give you the insight to it. But it, it does look film quality, as far as I'm concerned, as far as Nate is concerned. And we had the honor of uh, interviewing Alec Peters, who is the visionary behind the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was built as a fundraiser. All the descriptions are going to be in the description below. So please go check out the prelude. They also have an official scene up to promote their Indiegogo project. But yeah, like Zach said, we were so fortunate enough to have Alec Peters on to actually break down to us all the really cool things that are going on with the project. We got really good insight into how he thinks and writes and stuff. But without further ado, here's our interview with Alec Peters. Peters, Alec. Alec, please, please. <laughs> I'm old enough without you making. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's great to have you on. We really appreciate you uh, doing this and giving us your time. Uh, oh yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I'll start with the first question here. Probably a lot of our audience isn't going to know about Axanar, and I feel that a lot of uh, Star Trek fans, even hardcore Star Trek fans, for some reason don't know about it. And we're going to try and change that, you know, everyone. So what can you tell us about Axanar, how it originated, and about your Indiegogo campaign? Well, Axanar is a, <clears throat> an independent Star Trek feature. Uh, it is uh, meaning that we're not licensed by uh, CBS. We are um, uh, independent uh, in that we are like a fan film. It's a... Uh, a project that we've been working on for five years now. I've been working on for five years now. And uh, last year we released Prelude to Axnar, which was our 20-minute short film that was basically, <laughs> people don't realize it, but it was basically a Kickstarter video. That's, that was the whole purpose yeah. of Prelude to Axnar. The idea was let's make a film that we can then use to market to get more money. Um, and, and that people would know that we know how to make film. So Prelude to Axanar came, we, we funded it in March, we shot it in May, we released it in July at the San Diego Comic-Con. Last, uh, uh, last year, correct? Yeah, that was last yeah. year, and obviously mm -hmm. it was very successful. And uh, what we did was, with that money, we um, acquired a, a warehouse, a 16,000 square foot warehouse that we're turning into a soundstage, which we call Aries Studios, building sets and um, retrofitting the, the, the warehouse to, to be a soundstage, a lot of things we have to do. So yeah, so it's... It's been an interesting ride, and now we we filmed our first scene, which was the Vulcan scene that everyone saw. Yep. Uh, that's on our Indiegogo. Uh, the idea there was, okay, let's get into production. Let's show what we can do now. You know, because Prelude was basically 
uh, it was like a documentary. So it was shot like a documentary. Yeah. That's very different than shooting a feature. And, you know, everyone was sitting out talking to a green screen. I'm happy as can be with what we did. I, I think what we did looks as good as pretty much anything you'll, you'll see in the science fiction world. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does. I mean, that my, my friend Paul introduced me to, to, um, to Axanar <laughs> originally. And yeah, I saw it. I, I saw Prelude right when it came out, and, uh, and then I immediately backed your your next campaign. But when I saw it, I was like, "Wow, this is like you know, it's like movie quality, basically." You know, but like Nate said, it blew me away. And I'm you know, that's your trademark, basically. Is what you're you're trying to be a cut above the rest, basically, right? A cut above the other fan film. I don't even like to call Axanar a fan film. Uh, you know, you call it a, just an independent film. You know, independent well, Star Trek film. That's the way. That's the way we are. We don't call it a fan film. A fan yeah. film. Um, no disrespect to fan films. Right, of course. But fan films are a specific thing. A fan film is you get your buddies together and you, you know, you, you make a Star Trek film. And there's generally few professionals involved, mostly volunteer crew. The, the results vary. At the top end of the spectrum, you have like Star Trek New Voyages or um, uh, Star Trek uh, Continues um, yep. or, or Farragut, Starship Farragut. You were on, uh, you were on, uh, was it New Voyage? No, well, you were on Phase 2, right? Was that the one you yeah, were on? Yeah, Phase 2 New yeah, Voyage was the right. same, same thing. Okay. Uh, right, that's where I got my start five years ago. Yeah, that's right. And, um, playing the same character, right? Playing Captain Garth, yeah. yeah. Playing Garth, that's right. Nice. Yeah, and um, that was thanks to James Cawley of Star Trek New Voyages. Um, they just finished shooting their latest episode, as a matter of fact. And uh, James, I had, you know, I'm a big collector of Star Trek props and costumes, and James Coley uh, is a, uh, worked for Bill Tice, the legendary costume designer for Star Trek. Okay. And so I was talking with him because we were we were just talking about costumes, and I said, "Hey, I, I just got the you know one of my holy grails. I got Garth of Izar's costume." And <laughs> he was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" And uh, you know, we talked about how cool the character Garth was, and too bad that they never did anything with them. And yeah, and other than the insane asylum thing or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like what happened to him after. Yeah. <laughs> what was he like before? You know. Yeah. Uh, all, why was he Kirk's hero? These are, you know, these are the questions I, I need answers to. And uh, James was like, yeah, "Well, you know, we're shooting this episode called Origins, which is about Kirk at the Academy, and that's the time of Garth at his height. Why don't we write him into the script?" And I said, "Well, you should." And then James said, well, you need to come play him. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. So, uh, sure. And that was the beginning of uh, uh, my relationship with James Cawley. Um, okay. I reprised the role of Garth, a fully recuperated Garth, in the Going Boldly vignette, which was 2012. Um, it's, it was right before I actually, it was funny, it was right before I actually started acting school, uh, acting class with, at, at the Howard Fine School uh, here in L.A., because it's funny, because I go back to that now, and I know every, I hate it. I just can't stand watching it. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, was, you know, I did everything wrong. And you know, I, I couldn't show that to Howard, because, you know, he'd pull it apart. Or he'd, my actor, Howard finds great. He said, well, you know, what worked, what did it, and why? That was, that's what he always says in class. So I would say, okay, here's what worked, and which was very little, and here's what didn't work, and here's why. Um, but, uh, you know, listen, a learning process. And, uh and I did meet one of my uh, another couple people from Howard Fine Academy while I was there. That was kind of cool. So that was basically the start of um, of Axanar. Uh, James Coley said I should write a script, and John Munchrath, who uh, plays who used to play Doctor McCoy on on New Voyages, uh, John he's credited as John Kelly, mm -hmm. and I uh, started working together. I love John; he's awesome, and that's kind of how we got to, we got on the path. And 
Last year was Prelude, and now uh, Axnar is in production. Now, yeah, the real deal. Yeah, it's it is the real deal. And uh, I was I just had a meeting today with uh, Rob Burnett, our director, and Milton Santiago, our DP. Yeah, and, and today, and we and, and Dean Newberry, our construction coordinator, and we were talking about okay, well, based on how much money we raise, how how are we going to film this? What are we going to do? What does that what does that look like? So. Um, so that's kind of where we are at the moment. And okay. uh, do you have a sign uh, over Aries Studios yet? A real sign? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we just photoshopped it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was funny. You have such an amazing cast for Prelude. Are we going to see cameos in the full feature uh, from uh, Tony Todd and and uh, the likes, or were those just was that mainly just for the Prelude? Um, no, uh, basically right now. Everyone is coming back. Um, awesome. awesome. We have not signed Tony Todd yet. We're working on that. <laughs> Mr. Todd, if you're listening, please. Yes. Please <laughs> you sign need up. to be he in did, this. <laughs> he did Ramirez so well. I, I loved it. Like, it was weird to see Tony Todd in a Star Trek feature and not have the Klingon ridges. Like, it really was weird. <laughs> kind of threw me off at first, but such a great actor. Like, I, I did have to commend you on that. The, the Prelude cast was just an amazing cast, and y'all did it so well. Um, what we were talking about with the graphics and stuff, you know, just blowing us away. Um, how many people do you have working on the project in total, would you say? Oh, my gosh. Not including volunteers who come in from time to time. as People who are regularly working on it, um, either, you know, as a volunteer or otherwise. Um, there's probably 40, 50 people right now. I mean, our art department alone has 15 or more people in it. Um, nice. You know, and then we've got construction crew and... Diana and fulfillment. Um, you know, we've got associate producers. For you know, uh, Horace Austin is one of our associate producers who runs our film festival division. You know, so any film festivals in that's Horace. It's a part-time thing, but he works on it every day. I'm sure he's answering an email. This is this is a full-time gig now for you and uh, for Robert, right? If if I, if I recall, I listened to yes. I listened to your podcast. You know, right. whenever, all the, every every time it comes out. So yeah, I remember you guys talking about that. But yeah, so this is your full-time gig now. This. Axonar and Aries Studios. That that's you're going towards something more than just um, just this movie, right? You want to you want to go beyond this and keep making, basically keep making more, correct? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's not just uh, Star Trek for us. Um, yeah. The whole idea is we want to we listen. We want to keep making Star Trek um, because that's what the fans are paying for. You know, they they paid to get the studio up and running. They're paying for Axonar. We're going to keep making Star Trek for them, and we've already announced that the next project is going to be um, Tales of the Four Years' War, um, nice. which is going to be like an anthology series about all the different characters you see. You know, there'll be Sam Travis story, and there'll be a Sonia Alexander story, and a and a Karn story. You know, yeah. um, we'll, we'll be working on all of these, and so that's kind of uh, you know the next project we have in line. Plus, we've got four books being planned. Wow. And then, yes, we want to grow beyond Star Trek just because we can't make money on Star Trek. And we yeah, want right. to be making money on other things and doing Star Trek for fun. That makes sense. Unless CBS decides. Do you think there's a chance that CBS would sanction your series and say, okay, you know, let's, let's put this on TV or something like that? No. I don't think so. <laughs> I, re I really don't think so. That's kind of not the way cool. Hollywood works. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, literally, I think there's a lot of people who feel that we should be the Star Trek on TV. Right. Um, you know, the you know, fans of Star Trek. And it's great because XNR appeals to all sorts of Star Trek fans. We have fans of TOS. We have fans of Next Generation. We have fans of Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, 
fans of Star Trek are 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 fans of Axanar. I mean, it's so rare that we run into someone who doesn't love Axanar. Part of that is because we get Star Trek, and I say that you know seriously. Rob and I are both grew up on TOS, and we're fans. Deep Space Nine is my favorite series. Oh, um, not another yep, one. Same God. here. <laughs> I keep getting that. Like I, I've had this debate with so many people over best captain, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm so sorry. But like Cisco <laughs> always gets the rep for best captain. And I'm like, why? How? Anyway, I'm sorry. Who's your I'm favorite sorry. captain? <laughs> we do have to know who's your favorite captain. Cisco. Oh, come on. Come on. Dude, he broke Starfleet regulations on multiple occasions. Yes, he did. Just like James C. Kirk. Yeah, there you go. Picard Picard was too by the book. As much as I love Picard, he was just... Picard's boring. Um, And and you don't want Picard in your foxhole. Uh, You want a badass. Listen, how can you not want the guy who was Hawk on Spencer for Hire as your captain? (laughs) I mean, I know that's a little esoteric for some of you Star Trek fans. But there was a great um, 80s TV show called Spencer for Hire with Robert Urich. And, uh, and Avery Brooks played this character called Hawk, who was just this badass. I, I don't know what it, I don't know if he was a private investigator. He was just like an all-around badass. And, um, and he was awesome. So when I heard he was going to be a, the, ca- the new captain in Star Trek, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the captain I want. But anyway, Cisco's the best captain. I'll tell you why. One, because he knew when to kick ass. Two, he knew when to break the rules. Um, three, no one really wanted to face him. And, and four, he was a family man. He knew yeah. what it was like. He had a wife who died. He was That's raising true. a son. He knew it. Just look at his relationship with Nog. I mean, yeah. that is, and Nog's one of my favorite characters. I, I love Nog, but look at the way he nurtured that guy and brought him up. I, Cisco rules in my book. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I always <laughs> looked at him as brash, and I always looked at him as, you know, like, brash. he, did, oh, he didn't even. Those he early didn't seasons. Yeah. What, well, but what? he didn't even become a captain until like two seasons in. You know what I mean? Like he was a commander for a yeah, while. Yeah, the first and... the first couple seasons of DS Nine weren't as good as the, as the later ones. I think and it oh. got better as it went on. Like any Star Trek, you know. It, that's all true. Of... Yeah, that's true. So, TNG yeah, is for, the same for, way. Yeah, TOS is it is an aberration, but yeah, the first two seasons of TNG are unwatchable. They are so bad. Well, they're not unwatchable. Yeah. I, well, I just I just watched them recently. <laughs> yeah, season three it really gets better because I'm watching season it now. Three. Absolutely, season I'm three. I'm watching the Blu-rays that Robert Robert worked on the Blu-rays, right? Yes he, yes, he did. He did. Yeah. Season three, yesterday's Enterprise is season three, mm-hmm. um, which is my favorite episode. I just watched but, it a couple nights ago, actually. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. So, and you know, in talking about captains, I mean, I was always fascinated by Garth. Because the captain we saw in um, at the end of that episode, uh, you know, wh- wh- and not only that, when they're in the transporter room and Kirk is trying to escape, and he starts reaching Garth, and you start to see a little of who Garth was. Um, you know, Garth says, "You were the you know the finest student in the academy, the role model," and uh, and Garth says, "Yes, it was a great responsibility and one I was proud to bear." You saw the you saw the captain who was noble and eloquent and and you know and and not the crazy loon that he, he was in the episode and then at the end when he's recovering when they're rehabilitating him and the medicine's taking effect you, you saw a much subtler more noble captain and while i was like who is that guy who who, who is he? he's kirk's hero who who is kirk's hero right you know isn't that fascinating i mean yeah you, know, you want to know who you know who's the guy that he looked up to That's and so true. That's what, so that's what our story tells. Our story. So, 
I got, I got a, yeah, relating to that, how, how much of the story, um, how much of it pulls from canon and how much of it is stuff that you've written? You know, I, obviously Garth was, was, is canon. He was in the original series. But how much, like the, the Four Years' War and all this stuff, this is all stuff that's been talked about and mentioned before in Star Trek, correct? Right. So what, one of the things we do, because we're Star Trek geeks, so Rob and I love all of Star Trek. Rob's huge into the novels. I'm huge into uh, uh, a lot of the different things. I've read some of the novels, um, not as much as he has, but you know the better ones I've read. Um, I love the FASA role-playing game from the 80s. There's all sorts of references. And what I really have done in the Axonar script is, is weave in a bunch of different elements of Star Trek. Meaning, we know that the only thing that's canon in Star Trek is what you've seen on screen. And let's face it, not the animated series. That is not canon. But, but, <laughs> but you know, it has to be. CBS says it has to be seen live action on screen to be canon. Okay, that means books aren't canon. Technical manuals aren't canon. None of this other stuff is canon. However, there's also you know your private canon or head canon, as people call it. What is what is canon to you? And that can be totally different. That could be whatever you want it to be, right? And so I tend, and Rob and I have kind of, because we, we always talk about this stuff, um, I'm a huge fan of The Final Reflection, the John Ford novel about the Klingons from back in the, uh, I, that was late 70s, early 80s, I forget when it was. <clears throat> that is a great book. That is, you know, and, and that should have been the role model for the Klingons, not the, you know, the Kronos nonsense that we got in Next Generation. And so we weave in some Final Reflection, uh, you know, references. The Four Years' War is directly from the FASA role-playing game. Um, in the FASA yeah. role-playing game, there was a Four Years' War with the Klingons. Now, we don't follow their timeline because their timeline's off, uh, but we take that from, from it as a nod to that. And I can't give it away. We just, I just wrote in this awesome, uh, awesome, awesome uh, Easter egg, um, and it was you know, I love doing that. I, I, I love putting something in that is subtle, but when you realize it is awesome. For example, in Prelude to Axanar, who was the narrator? John Gill. John Gill, yes. <laughs> Sorry, right. I blanked. Sorry, we didn't know that. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> it was subtle. A lot of people missed that, you know? Um, John Gill, the famous historian who was Kirk's teacher at the Academy oh, from Patterns of Force, okay. right? Okay. Um, so we do things like that to because it's fun and it makes sense. And it's not fan service. I hate fan service. And that's like the hallmark of fan films is fan service. Yeah. Do something just because... To a fault. Fans, you love it. I mean, without knocking any particular one. I mean, what I've seen coming out of the fan film, you know, lately, although the quality is, is vastly improved, they're still insisting on this useless fan service just because, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that, you know, every single captain you've ever heard of is in one place at one time. It's kind of like uh, Generations, the movie, um, where they put Kirk and Picard together. They didn't really need to do that. You know, it was kind of... Yeah, but that was, okay, I'm okay was, with that. I, I'm okay with that because... I'm was, okay with parts of it, but I, I don't know. It was um, necessary. 
Right. In fan films, we, you, you see they put fan service like, but with all due respect to, in, to Star Trek New Voyages, their second episode in harm's way. It has doomsday machines and guardians of forever and it's got, you know, it's just got everything it's in the crazy. kitchen sink in it. It's like, okay, look at all the fan films coming out from Star Trek New Voyages and, and Star Trek Continues. Almost every one is either a continuation of an old episode or a sequel to an old episode or, you know, it's like, let's be original. Let's not dive into the pot. We've literally rejected stuff that was really cool because it got too close to fan service. You know, there was a, a whole scene that involved Richard Daystrom. Because when I figured out the numbers, Richard Daystrom won the Z Magnes Prize and Nobel Prize in, in 2243, you know, two years before our story. I'm like, well, it would make sense that he'd be the guy installing the new systems on the Ares. And the Ares was probably the first shit with Duotronics. And, you know, so I would have loved to have done that. But you know what? It, it, it kind of slowed the script down and it was a little too fan servicey. Yeah. Right? You know, if we could write it a better way, we would do it. So Chang is a lieutenant in, in Axanar. We borrowed that character. We borrowed Saval. We borrowed, obviously, Garth. But every, outside of that, everyone else is new. And everyone else is unique and we're creating new interesting characters you know so it, it's really important to you know be original don't just throw everything in from star trek well with with that in mind and with that fan service kind of mantra in mind like how do you approach but before the cameras start rolling you know how do you approach garth what what do you do to prepare yourself to go on camera and be garth well you know, the first thing is um, understanding who Garth is, and that involves writing a detailed backstory. You need to know everything about your character. This is the advantage of writing the script, too. Um, I have a co-writer co in, in Bill Hunt who's helping me with the screenplay, but, you know, when I was writing the story, Robert McKee, who's um, kind of like the godfather of uh, Hollywood screenwriting, uh, he teaches seminars. He wrote the seminal book on screenplay writing called Story. He always says is, if you really know who your character is, if you work out that backstory and you know everything about this character, all you have to do is place him in a situation and the words write themselves. And it's true. Um, I can take Garth and you tell me, Alec, you know, Garth, uh, a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar. <laughs> I mean, and I'll tell you what's going to happen <laughs> because I know who Garth is, right? I, yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, in this situation, Garth's going to say this. Garth's going to do this because I know who he is. So that as an actor, that's what you have to do. First, you really want to know who your, your character is. You want to know where he came from and what was his upbringing like. And, you know, in the backstory I wrote for Garth, they, you know, he's raised on this earth colony, Izar. And his mother is a botanist, a xenobiologist, uh, and his father is a constable. He's the kind of like the the, the sheriff of the uh, of the colony, hmm. um, because I, because Garth has this love of exploring. He listen, Kirk said he charted more worlds than any other captain. Um, well, okay, so he's a great explorer. Where do you get that from? Well, I'm thinking, well, one of his parents had probably was a scientist. That's probably where he got that love for. You know, and at the same time, his father, I have him as a lawman because there are certain fundamental principles that I think Garth learned. And, and I kind of see him as, uh, as the father in Gentle Ben, if you remember that series from the 60s. I mean, that was always a father that I, I thought was really fascinating. So you write those things and then you write stories about him. And, and I've written, you know, little little vignettes of things that happened in Garth in his high school and when he was it went to the academy and what and when he you know was posted to his first ship and I you know you write all these things and what what influenced him 
And, and once you understand those things, it's a lot easier to write about the character, and it's a lot easier then to, when you're preparing for the role, to understand how that character is reacting in a certain situation and what his mindset is going to be. How does Garth, you know, react to certain things? And you never want to pre-plan how you're going to play a scene. That's not good. Um, but you want to play all the different ways he might respond in a scene. You know, you want it when you're rehearsing, you, you want to try a bunch of different ways and you want to, uh, you know, is there, is he, maybe one time you'll play him being really anxious and another time really, you know, upset. And then you, you and try and play, play with it and, and see what, what feels true to the character. Um, but you're never trying to preset, they call it pre-shaping, how you're going to play a scene. You never want to say, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. That's, that's not acting. That's, you know, that, uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and acting, acting something uh, you've gotten into, uh, you, you weren't originally an actor. You, you were no. you're a lawyer and, and so, some, other, some other things you've done in your life? Yeah, I went to law school, passed the bar. I went to yeah. University of North Carolina, um, member of that state's bar. Um, or I was, <laughs> but I've never practiced law because okay. I never wanted to. I coached volleyball at USC and with the U.S. national team, mm. uh, won an NCAA championship in 1990, which I'm very proud of, and nice. uh, coached in uh, a couple world championships. And uh, and then I'm becoming an entrepreneur. So wow. uh, and I've started a number of small businesses, uh, Axonar being the latest one. And uh, but really, about three years ago, I started acting. Um, although Richard Hatch was my first acting coach like 20 years ago, I took a class with Richard, okay. um, and we became good friends and stayed friends through the year. Okay, that's why that's why he's in the movie. <laughs> that's he was the first guy I approached. Really? Okay. <laughs> and now he's my acting coach. Now has been my acting coach for the past year and a half, and um, and I love Richard Dealey. He's he's great. Um, there are times in class I've really gotten stuff out of me that I didn't know was there. There's times where I walk out of class banging my head against the wall like God, I'm not, I can't do this. But that's because Richard's pretty demanding, and, and I sometimes bring in, you know, we were just doing the first, that first big scene in The Cage where Pike is in his quarters and the doctor walks in and they're talking, and he's talking about, Pike's talking about how frustrated he is. Uh, we did that scene in class with me Excuse playing you. Pike. Yeah, because that's a great thing for a captain, mm -hmm. digging into those feelings. And Richard doesn't let you get away with mediocre acting. You got it. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. We've we've done it three times already, and and uh, yeah, we're gonna probably be doing it a few more because I'm still not happy with the results, and uh, and then we're gonna start getting into uh, Axonar real soon, but um, it's different. Listen, I am a left brain guy. I'm you know I am a businessman first and foremost, a producer. I am uh, I'm I'm not an actor. You know I, I I've had people say to me, oh, so you, do you want to be a professional actor? I'm like, God, no. <laughs> absolutely not it's too difficult you know yeah um and, and not that which is part of the reason i'm doing it is because it's difficult and it's, it's a challenge yeah and uh, it's it's not easy for me I, I mean listen i always say that brad gray the head of paramount pictures could come up to me and say alec we want you to produce the next star trek movie and i'm giving you a hundred and twenty five million dollars and i would be like okay brad i can do that and I would have absolute confidence that I could kick ass. No question oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. That's me. That, mm -hmm. I, Alec the producer, that's what I'm good at. Yeah. But I'm not a director and I'm not an actor. So 
doing those things. I don't even want to get into directing. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. I'll leave that to Rob Burnett. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the acting thing is, and listen, why do something unless you're going to have a challenge? And it is a major challenge in my life to be a, an effective actor. And the, again, I'm lucky that I wrote this script. I'm lucky that I've been living with Garth for so long that I really feel I know him. I mean, God, I don't know how many people have even said to me, you know, you kind of look like him. Um, <laughs> I'm like, really? Uh, okay. That, that's yeah, cool. a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, what's funny is people say to me, you look like a young version of Steve Inhat. And I'm <laughs> saying, well, that's really flattering because he was 35 or 36 when he played Garth. And I'm, I'm 54. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm fortunate. Uh, yeah, well, hey, listen, 50 years ago, they were smoking and drinking and not exercising and eating red meat all the time. So, you know. Uh, That's very true. I, li I live in California. and people, people don't still do that? I think we still do that in Florida. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe some people, not all people. So, yeah, so, in answer, so that's kind of a long story about how you get into your character and, and find that character. And Garth has changed for me uh, over the past few years. Working with Richard has really, and working with um, the script has really made me think about Garth and what, you know, what are the qualities that I want people to see on screen and how would he react to this situation? And, and it's challenging because you also, when you're writing it, you want to be mindful of not to make the character too big or, you know, I'm trying to reduce the number of lines I have and make it more of an ensemble. You yeah, you don't want to look like an ego show or something. No, yeah, absolutely yeah. not. You know, uh, uh, th that's really important. Speaking of acting and directing, tell us a little bit about the Vulcan scene. I, I, I know about this because I, I listen to the podcast, but for those who don't, tell us how you filmed that and what that entailed. Well, we decided we needed to do something to show people what we could do um, in, in a narrative drama. And uh, Rob spearheaded this, and it was great. And... Um, we got a team together, uh, top-notch pros. Everyone on the set was a pro, um, meaning they, they worked for a living at what they were doing on our set. Um, our DP is a professional DP. Our, our gaffer was a professional gaffer. Our, you know, you the whole nine yards. They were awesome. And, um, you know, Rob and Milton, the DP, worked with Tobias, the VFX guy, for weeks to prepare for this scene. And it was great to see them work so hard on preparation because they literally got I mean everything down to a T there the, when they we showed up on that day it was a Saturday um, every they knew exactly what they were doing there was no question we're doing this 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 and this here's the time schedule boom we ran a half hour over in the morning on makeup but no problem they made it up um, they knew where they were gonna shoot that their shot list it was storyboard the whole nine yards I was so proud of Rob uh, especially for the, the work he put in. And this is why Rob is such a good choice uh, for director. He understands the amount of work it takes yeah. to be a director. And that is really critical. If, if you don't think you're going to be working your ass off, you know, 18 hours a day, well, you're wrong. You're not a director. You know, um, go do something else. Rob gets it. Rob loves it. Rob's willing to do it. Yeah. That's so awesome. Like you gotta, you gotta respect somebody that's so dedicated to a vision that you see. Is it gonna be episodic, or or is it gonna be one feature film that's coming out? Well, right now, I'm I'm guessing that we're gonna release it in episodes simply because that's the way we're raising money. You know, if we raise 1.3 million dollars, that would be great. 
but I don't think we're going to because we're only at 325,000 with uh, two weeks to go. So um, we'll, re we'll, you know, we were talking about that today. You know, assuming we get maybe $400,000, how much of this do we do? And we release what we got and, and go from there. So that's yeah, kind and of it'll it'll build up it'll build up uh, anticipation too. With with each each episode that's released, people will want more, and you know, for sure. That's well, that's definitely yeah, that's definitely you know the the hopeful outcome on that. I mean, like I just have to say, I loved some of the stuff that was in Prelude, like the way it was written. Um, I loved the transition of. You know, one of the reasons that the Klingons thought they could be such big bullies was just because the Federation was just, at the time, you know, it was all research, it was all ex exploration. They just weren't equipped for this type of battle. Um, you know, so it was a slaughter. And I love how that was written, and I love how it was one of these moments when that Ares, when you see the Ares class ship for that first time uh, on screen. Um, I just I have to give you guys major props because it just it, it was one of these moments where you get goosebumps like yep we're back in it we're back in it now <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> and um, I love that stuff I did have kind of a nerd question and it might be not so nerd of a question I don't know um, but I did want to ask like the D seven okay that was in the prelude it was something that you know the Klingons were working on it's this ultra secretive ship. And stuff, and me and Zach were kind of. We watched the prelude again last night, and we were discussing it so we could get ready for the interview and stuff. And one of the questions that we had was Is the D7 the reason it's so formidable towards the Federation? Is it the first uh, vessel with cloaking abilities? Because we know from uh, there's an episode of TOS Balance of Terror where the D7 is being used, but if I remember correctly, it's being used by the Romulans and not the Klingons. Well, you know, uh, right. I, I mean, my, my thought was what we were doing was making the D7 and the Constitution class the dreadnoughts of their time. And in order to do that, you, you had to posit that there were significant improvements, that they were the next generation up, right? That there right. was something sp specific about them that was really impressive. Whatever that was, it was better phasers, it was better shields, it was more powerful engines that powered these things, whatever that was. And, and that part of that works into the script. So that being said, we're trying to create this healthy fear of these vessels. Um, and the Federation is behind the eight ball. Their constitution's not ready and the Klingons are already launching D7s. And you guys did a great job at ending the prelude right where it should have. It's like, and then the D7s come into battle, and then credits roll. And it's like, no, I want to know what happens, you know. But I love that <laughs> writing because there was so – that's how you could tell the writing is done so well is because in my mind, you know, I'm thinking about stuff that's not even being said on screen. I'm thinking about, okay, well, this is – we're seeing the transition of Federation going from totally science-based to now you're moving into a military sense. Now you're moving it. You, you have to think of the um, Starfleet officers' uh, mindset at the time of, okay, holy crap, we're we're under war. We're we're doing. Garth is one of the first of his kind. Where he is, I love the way you guys describe that battle because it, it's like the first time a Starfleet captain has taken the initiative to go into battle and do well in battle, and it was just one of these moments where it, it puts so much stuff into perspective uh, for Star Trek. So I just, I had to commend you again, sir. I'm sorry uh, to nerd out on you like that, but. No, no, this, we're all nerds here. <laughs> yeah, we are. Very well written. So I guess, I, I guess that say. means, I guess that means we're going to see the Constitution class ships in action then. 
I'm not necessarily going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got to leave something. Got to leave something. Well, we do see them in Prelude being built, so, you know. Yes, you do. For now. I can confirm that. They are being built. They're being built. Okay. You were talking about the Dreadnoughts, and you get that feel when you see this little transport ship, or, or um, I forget the class of those little ships, but it's carrying this huge piece to the Constitution. So you see just the massive undertaking that it's taking to make this Constitution-class vessel, and... Uh, yeah, it's it's got me super super excited. Like I really cannot wait to see uh, those two go at it. Is Garth maybe going to be on a Constitution vessel? Maybe who knows? I will tell you, no, no, he is definitely not. The final battle revolves around a couple D7s and Klingons versus Federation, with for the most part no Constitutions anywhere in sight. Well, that's not true because the, the, at Axar, the, the Klingons, well, they're protecting them anyway. Yeah, they're the Klingons are. The Klingons have been led to believe <clears throat> that the Constitutions are being built in or orbit around Axanar. Ah, I got okay. you. So it's oh, wait, maybe a little wait, trickery nudge, going nudge. on. So, <laughs> okay, so, I got you. So Axanar yeah. is a system or a planet? Is Axanar is a planet? It's a planet. Okay, that's okay. Uh, yeah. that's I, I was yeah I was a little confused by that because it didn't actually say at least I don't remember it saying exactly what Axanar was. It was a system or a planet or okay, but it's a planet. All right, that makes sense. Right. Uh, people, you know, I get people saying, um, "You're wrong. The Enterprise wasn't built in, you know, in, in orbit above Axanar. You know, like I don't know that. What <laughs> I, I'm always like, well, go back and listen again because you clearly weren't paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So Nate, why don't you ask him the last question, man? Well, yeah, I kind of just want to know, especially for our listeners' sake, where can people go to uh, get this rolling? SaveTheFederation.com or KlingonVictory.com. Those both take you directly to our Indiegogo campaign. Cool. Um, and if you're listening to this after that campaign closes, you can still donate um, because that's the way Indiegogo works. Nice. And uh, please check out our website, StarTrekAxonar.com, because we have new content every single day. Uh, I write a daily captain's log. I've got friends uh, and, blo uh, and bloggers and fellow fans who write other blogs. We have... Uh, Fan Film Friday, we have uh, all sorts of interviews with cast and crew. Um, so there's always something interesting on the XNR webpage. Yeah, and you guys are extremely transparent about exactly what's being spent on what. Tell people about that, where uh, if they're concerned about where the money's being spent, how they can see where you guys actually spend the money. First of all, I tell people, this is a very expensive venture, because you're not just paying for a fan film. You, you, we're trying to create a studio to give you guys Star Trek all the time um you know we we want to be coming out i'd love to be coming out with three star trek films a year or or or, or episodes every other month or whatever you know we're really serious about this and um so building this infrastructure has been you know rather expensive but people are very generous and what we do what our responsibility is is to let you know where that money is going and so what we do is i just released uh the first part of our annual report which um, tells you here's what we raised one hundred one thousand dollars on Prelude to Axonar. Here's where the money went, and then um, and then it talks about where the money has gone from the Axonar Kickstarter, the first Axonar Kickstarter. It's like we raised six hundred thirty-two, and here's where the money went, and we tell you, and uh, you know because we keep it all, we keep records of it all, and you know balancing our checkbook in Quicken, so we can pull that information down and say, hey, here's you know you want to know where the money went? Here's where the money went, and uh, that's really important because. Listen, we keep coming back to you and saying, okay, you, let's pay for the next phase of this and whatever that case may be. And in order to do that, 
you know, people need to know wh what we've been doing with the money, not just that we need more money, that when you give us money, it's being used for the right thing. Um, and, uh, you know, one of our one of our competitors is, uh, 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 I say competitor, and I don't really mean it, but, uh, you know, another fan film producer has accused us of spending the money on buying a new car. I don't know where he got that from because I'm still driving my 2008 used car. Um, <laughs> Interesting. But, uh, you know, yeah. And then, and last, and I had a second car, a, a beautiful supercar, a 2001 Lotus Esprit, and I sold that last year, partly to help fund Prelude Taxonar. Wow. So, um, <laughs> wow. you know, so I always say to people, really, if the if we have we so over provide information that there's no excuse for ignorance. Yeah. Um, just look, you know, Diana, our fulfillment director, posts all the time. So two, three times a week, she's post, posting about fulfillment. So there's an enormous amount of information uh, out there. And, and, you know, I don't know of any other Star Trek uh, fan film that produces a budget after they raise money. We're just, you know, we, we just assume that they're spending it correctly. That's, all, that's our commitment to our donors is that you know where your money's going. That's so awesome. Cool. So that awesome. is really cool. Well, I got one more question for you. Um, and this is a newer one. There's been rumblings on the internet that George Takei might somehow get involved in this, maybe. Or there are people or people are petitioning him to get involved in Axanar? <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, George uh, and his team are wonderful supporters of Axanar. Um, and he posted about us on his Facebook page. I, I saw that. Yeah, I know he's going to do it again. So we're, you know, we're very grateful to George for that. Um, uncle George. Uncle George. We call him Uncle George. <laughs> uncle George. We call him Uncle George because he's like your rich uncle. He's like, a, <laughs> he reaches in and mentions you and all of a sudden your Kickstarter or your Indiegogo campaign goes crazy. So, um, yeah, we're very, very appreciative of, of Uncle George. And uh, and plus we love him. He's so awesome. I mean, yeah, listen, I've been going to Star Trek conventions for 30 years and, um, uh, I can tell you that no, none of the people uh, from the original uh, series are quite so passionate about the fans as George is. Um, they're all nice, but George just truly loves the fans. Yeah. And, and, it, and he's, I got to speak with him for like 10 minutes in December um, and thank him for what they did. And uh, gracious, elegant man. I just, you know, we're very blessed to have him as, as a fan of Axelon. That's awesome. Um, and I also can tell you today that, did you see the photo of uh, the astronaut Samantha Cristoforetti yes. who wore her Star Trek uniform in space? Well, yep. I, I just I just spoke with her, and uh, really? <laughs> hopefully she's going to have a little uh, little role in Axonar. Really? Nice. <laughs> what? She was, she was wearing a Voyager uniform, wasn't she? Yes, she was. I believe it was a Voyager uniform from Voyager. Wow, but that's uh, that's awesome. So you'll have a real astronaut in Axon. <laughs> couldn't get more authentic, you know what I mean? Yeah. She'll have to wear a different uniform, though. Yes, she wrong, wrong time. Yes, she will. All right, well, thanks. Alec, thank you so much for coming on. We, we'll, uh, we'll let you get going. And, um, thank you. Yeah, any, any, last, uh, any last things you'd like to say? Hey, listen, thank you to all the donors. Um, God bless you, and uh, and, and please... Um, do whatever you can to support us, even if if that is nothing more than sharing our Facebook posts and telling your friends about us. We 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 need all the help we can get. Well, we'll definitely be doing it. So, for sure. All right. Thanks a lot, Alec. Appreciate it. Thank all you, right. Mr. Peters. Take care. You too.
So there you guys have it. That was our interview with Mr. Peters, and just what an amazing guy. I mean, he was, you know, kind of telling us about Uncle George and how gracious he was, and, you know, we we feel the same way towards you, Mr. Peters. Just thank you so much for being with us. Um, you guys, please be sure to check out SaveTheFederation.com. Um, every, uh, every one of the links that Mr. Peters was talking about, or Alec was talking about, I'm not trying to make him feel old, and uh, every, uh, every link that he was talking about will be in the description below please check that out uh, please show the fundraiser some love so we can get this funded and get the uh, full feature film that we want we all want you can be sure to check us out pondering nerds at gamingrebellion.com our home and you can also check us out on stitcher on itunes and all those good places so uh, for me and all the guys at pondering nerdcast uh, i say adieu and zach later all right you guys take it easy peace